This morning, we want to jump into the first section of James. We talked about an introduction last week and, and really tried to get a background, but James is just going to dive right into what he wants to talk about. No niceties, no like long Thanksgiving prayer or anything, and he's just going to jump right in, probably because this is such an important topic for the churches that he's writing to. And he's going to talk about trials and, and difficulties in this life. Anyone have any difficulties in the last month in this life? So no one. No. Yeah, the thing is, we live in a fallen world, right? We live in a Genesis 3 fallen world that trials are part of. And so we come to those trials, and it is so easy to have these why God moments, I call them. Why? Why are you allowing this, God? Where are you? Why aren't you showing up when I need you to show up? And we have these moments that we just don't know how to process sometimes. And, and just by way of interaction, what are some of our normal responses to trials? Our natural responses to trials? Anxiety, frustration. I don't deserve this. What was Heather? We, we can shut down, withdraw, absolutely. There was another one somewhere. Depression. Yeah, because the, the, our trials can become so overwhelming. And these are some of our natural things. Sometimes people turn into control mode, right? And you start controlling every second of the day and everyone around you trying to solve your problem to resolve the trials. The thing is, all of us have to deal with trials. And the churches that he's writing to specifically had been exiled or had been sent out from, from Jerusalem and are in a strange place and are really struggling with how to deal with trials and how to deal with their circumstances. I can remember my last year, my last semester of seminary. We have about two more months of seminary left, and I was part-time here at Village, and the way that I was paying the bills and the mortgage was I was full-time as a computer programmer and working on a defense contract. And I remember being called into a meeting that day, and... Every, the whole company's there, and that's not necessarily a good thing in that industry. And the whole company's there, and they announced that our contract had been, had been um, expired or declined, that it had been canceled. And we were on a project on a, a certain language that was required by the government. The government had no longer required it. And I, w- I happened to be an independent contractor. And so all the other people got notice, a couple weeks notice, got a nice severance package, and I, I remember I got a handshake. Thank you. It's been a good 20 years. Have a nice day. I remember going home thinking, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know how to pay the mortgage after this. I don't know what, what God is doing. And it just was this moment where things changed like that. And, and as such, I was self-employed. And so unemployment wasn't an option. And, and so Susie and I had to suddenly deal with a trial that we didn't plan on and we didn't ask for. And we had to ask, where, where are you, God? What are you doing? And at that moment, the temptation to just shut down and to, to, to withdraw and to be angry and to be upset was all there. Now, praise God, God was working. And in hindsight, I can look back and say, I can see exactly what God was doing. What was I worried about? But at the moment, in the middle of it, that's not what we feel, right? And we all, we've all been through trials. We all understand 
the emotions that can happen, but we also understand the pressure when you're in the trials. And so James is going to dive right in because this is one of the most pressing issues for these churches. This is one of the issues that was keeping them from maturing in Christ, which is what James's goal was for these churches. So if you had to summarize this morning, and I put it at the top of your notes, we are able to endure the trials of life and grow spiritually from them when we have the proper attitude of joy and ask God for wisdom. Let me repeat that. We are able to endure the trials of life and grow spiritually from them when we have the proper attitude of joy and ask God for wisdom. So we're going to jump right into James 1, and we're looking at verses 2 through 8, so I invite you to open your Bibles to that. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black one right on a seat around you, under a seat around you. Please grab it, open it up. Also, as as last few weeks, if you have version on your your phone, you can go to the events, and there is a live event for us that you can get all the sermon notes and write with the verses there that we'll be covering. So whatever, whether it's an app or the Bible, open it up, and let's read God's Word together. James chapter 1. We're going to start with verses 2 through 4, and then we'll look at 5 through 8. James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And right there, we should go, what? You, you want me to do what? And you might be thinking, I think there's a, I think there's a, a mistype uh, in my Bible. Maybe it should be count it not joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. This is crazy talk. Uh, the people reading it, if you're in the middle of a trial and James writes to you and he says, count it all joy or complete joy, pure joy. Don't let any other emotions come in. This should be joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And so right at the beginning, James answers the question, what does God say our attitude should be in trials? What does God say our approach should be, our attitude? And the answer is point number one, we need to choose joy. We are called and commanded, this isn't just a suggestion, we are commanded by Scripture, choose joy. Joy during trials is a choice that is not dependent on circumstances. It's not dependent on how we're feeling. It's not dependent on the trial ending. We are called to choose joy in the middle of the trial when we don't know how it's going to turn out, when we have no idea if it's even going to work out. But we're to choose joy. Now, like I said, this sounds crazy. But understand, there's some things he's not saying. He's not saying be happy with everything that happens to you. And we'll talk just briefly about the difference between happiness and joy. But he's talking about have joy. But he's not saying that if, if, your, uh, if your brother dies, you have to be, yes, yes. Now, sometimes my boys, it seems like they want to say that. But um, no, when, when things happen, like losing a job or you're sitting in the doctor's office and the doctor says it looks like cancer, it doesn't mean that the emotion of happiness comes over us. That's not what James is saying. That's not what God is saying. He's saying, Counted all joy, which is a, a state of being, not an emotion. He's not saying that we'll enjoy trials. He's not even saying that we'll love trials. But he's saying we need to choose joy in the middle of trials. See, joy is a settled contentment. It's a peace. I love the word peace with joy because they, they go together so well. Joy in the Bible is a settled contentment, a peace, knowing that God is sovereign and he's got this. 
And there is a satisfaction, there is a peace that I can rest in the nature and person of God because I know that my God is still on the throne and my God is still powerful and He still is doing all things for His glory. He still is working out all things for my good. And so I can rest in peace in that in the middle of the darkest night of the soul. In the middle of the most difficult trial. That's what joy is. It's very, very different from the fleeting emotion of happiness. We had a great pizza last night. Yes, it had pineapple on it for those that that argue about this. And there was happiness. That's not joy. That's an emotion from a circumstance. And so when, when we, this is sometimes one of the most misunderstood verses. And I've seen people try to put on a happy face in distressing circumstances. And I'm like, brother, this, this situation stinks. I get it. It's hard. It hurts. Instead of a happy face, are we content and confident in our Lord and Savior? That's what joy is. I remember the song. I'm going to date myself here. Bobby McFerrin, should I try to sing? No, I won't sing it. Don't worry, be happy. Don't worry, be happy. Every time that song would come on, Susie would be like, I hate this song. <laughs> I'm like, don't worry, be happy. Um, <laughs> because that is bad theology. And, and now, now, not worrying is good theology, but just be happy and put a happy face on it. No, that's not why we, we don't have to worry. And he's going to get there. And this is his opening statement. He's going to say, this is based on what God is doing. Why we can have joy. I put a definition of joy in your notes, a longer definition. Joy is the peace, satisfaction, and conviction that God controls all events and is working things out for His glory and our ultimate good. Did you catch that? It's the peace, satisfaction, and conviction that God controls all events and is working things out for His glory and our ultimate good. It's peace that God is in control. And it's, it's a peace that the world can't understand. It's a peace that makes no sense. A joy that makes no sense. But really, if you, if you, know, our, if you know my God, it makes a lot of sense. Because my God is better at handling any situation than I am. He has a plan that is far beyond anything I could ever dream of or imagine. And He sees all of this and He is moving forward with His work in my life. James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And this is hard to hear. It is challenging but it is the command we are given. Choose joy. We don't pretend trials are easy, but rather we look beyond the trial to what God is doing through it. And that's where He's going to go. A couple of just just fun words out of here. This passage is just so rich. I mentioned count it all joy. And the idea there, that's an adjective for joy or pure joy, joy unmixed with anything else. It represents an absolute peace in God, an absolute trust in God that isn't filtered in by, you know what, I need, I need to help God a little bit. I don't think He's got it completely in control. I don't think He understands the whole situation. No, it's an absolute trust that God's got this. 
It's not dependent on circumstances, but on the character of God. The first word, count it, you might be saying. So you keep saying choose joy. That word count it means to evaluate and make a decision. It means to choose based on our thoughts and and a biblical evaluation of a circumstance rather than our emotion. A calculated decision, one author wrote, to think it through. And so James is saying, I I know the situations you're in are hard, but pause. Pause for a minute, stop, and begin to think. Train your mind. Bring your mind into subjection, your, your thoughts into subjection. Train your thoughts to think about what God is doing and what God can do through this. And so it's a change of focus. He's like, stop focusing on your trials. Focus on what God is doing. Count it all joy. Decide to have joy. You read on the verse, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And that meaning of trials, the idea there is, it's the same word that's used in the story of the Good Samaritan, of robbers suddenly coming on a traveler. And, and so this isn't like plan for trials so that way I can be joyful. No, this is trials come on us in a moment, Right? They come on us unexpectedly. And that's the word that's used here of robbers coming on a traveler or a ship suddenly hitting a reef. Life is going great and bam! Trials hit. And that becomes a test. Do we trust God or don't we? Do we allow God to use this or do we retreat and use this as a negative in our life? You know, that doctor's diagnosis is rarely planned The pink slip at work is rarely planned. The accident on your way home is rarely planned. But these things happen. In fact, the wording there is when you meet trials of various kinds, not if. And James is saying, you will. You will. Jesus said the same thing in John 16, 33. In case any of you have listened to any preachers that say, oh, if you're a believer, nothing bad will happen to you again, and you'll have money, and you'll have health. That's heresy. Because Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you might have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. Surprise, you'll be, you'll have trials. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And he's saying the same thing there. You're gonna have trials, you're gonna have tribulation, but be encouraged. I'm in control. I'm in control. And so these various kinds of trials, and James is using a general word here to represent a variety, a myriad of trials. It includes illnesses. It can include medical issues, financial loss or reversals, loss of job, theft, disasters, loss of people in your life, accidents. They will come. But don't check out now. Don't go home and say, oh, Pastor Ron says life's going to stink. That's not... The answer in this passage, he goes on. See, how we respond to our trials is the key to growing through them. And James says, choose joy. Count it all joy. Choose that as a response over complaining or over frustration or over self-pity or over shutting down or over fear. Choose to have this peace and confidence that God knows what he's doing. And so I can go on with life knowing that God's got this. Paul, 
We have a couple examples. Paul in 2 Corinthians 7, 4, and he's talking about some of the trials that he's gone through in other churches. He says, I am acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all of our affliction, in all of our trials, I am overflowing with joy. He doesn't say why there, but we see the same principle. In the middle of it, I can overflow with joy because he sees what God is doing in their lives. Think of Paul and Silas in prison. They go to Philippi and and they get harassed for the gospel and they get falsely accused and they get thrown into prison. And, And we would think that prison, that seems like a trial. And he and Silas are chained up there. What are they doing in the middle of the night in Acts 16? They're singing. I wouldn't be singing. But because they understood God is still in control, He is doing something so they can have joy and peace. They don't have to be overwhelmed by a temporary circumstance because an eternal God isn't shocked and isn't surprised. Get the message? And this is where James is going to go throughout these verses. And I think he, he keeps reiterating this and pounding this home because in the middle of trials, we forget this and we get overwhelmed and we see the trials and we don't see what God is doing. One other note from this verse, just a, a side note, a side application, which I just love. I mentioned last week one of the themes of James we're going to see is community and how James keeps using wording of community. What do you see right at the beginning of this verse? Count it all joy, my brothers. And he's using a general word there that means brothers and sisters. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you, and and again, if we were in the south, that would be you all. Okay, so that's plural you. When you all meet trials of various kinds. And the context that he's writing in is the context of community. And the note I have there is trials are much easier to face with church family rather than alone. We get into so many problems when we try to face trials alone because our, our, our minds start to go places they shouldn't go and nobody is there to correct that and to challenge that and to speak God's Word into that. And so as James even talks about trials, he starts by reminding them, this is brothers and sisters, we're a community. You all are meeting trials of various kinds. We're in this together. And so the first point he makes is to choose joy. That's what God says our attitude should be. So then the next thing he goes to in the next two verses, okay, why can we choose joy? Why should we have an attitude of joy? Is it just some false hope? Or is there a foundation? Is there a basis of that joy? And so we get to verses 3 and 4. And point number 2, we can choose joy when we focus on the spiritual work God is doing rather than the trial. We can choose joy when we focus on the spiritual work God is doing rather than the trial. And this is so valuable and so important because a trial becomes so consuming to us. It's like I I walked through the toy section at, at Target this week. And those toys became little gods to these little kids and they're screaming and yelling and reaching. I'm like, glad my kids were never like that. But that was their focus, right? That's all they could see was, I want Legos, or I want Barbies, or I, want, I don't know what all the toys were. And we can do that with our trials, where all we see is the circumstances we're in, and woe is me. 
Oh, I'll never get out of this. And it stops our growth. See, we can choose joy when we focus on the spiritual work God is doing rather than the trial. Joy clings to the truth that God is maturing us through these circumstances as we hold on to our trust in God. God is at work. He is doing something in your life. And so James here is going to give two steps. One, step one in verse three. Step two in verse four. The first step, he says, is testing produces steadfastness. Verse three. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And that testing here isn't temptation in this context. It's proving the worth of something. It's, it's like taking a, a precious metal and putting it in a, in a refinery where they heat it up and they boil it and it separates into layers of the precious metal and then you have the dross on top, all the, the, the impurities. That's the same word that's used here for testing. And so God is saying these trials, they, they test your faith, they bring out the true faith and remove the impurities if we're steadfast. Because when you do that with gold, for instance, the impurities rise to the top and they take a hammer and knock that off, throw that puppy away and keep the gold. And so God is refining us through trials and strengthening us through trials. The word for steadfastness there means the capacity to hold out or bear up in the face of difficulty. Sometimes some of your translations, it's translated patience, endurance, fortitude, Whatever wording you have, with steadfastness, you can put a little note there, it means an active clinging to the truth through difficulty. It's not a passive word. One author said, it's not meek, it's not a passive submission to circumstances. Oh well, it's just going to happen. I live, I live in a bad world, I have a bad life. No, it is a strong, active, challenging steadfastness that says, I trust God. I believe He is working, and so I can move forward with my life. All of that's in this word and in the meaning of this word. A toughness. Bruce Barton wrote, the word means endurance is faith stretched out. I really like that. It's faith stretched out uh, over time where we are actively saying, I trust God in the middle of it. And so how do we put that into practice? How do we be steadfast in, in, in our trials, knowing the testing of our faith produces steadfastness? Well, it's thinking about what God's doing through this. It's clinging to that truth. Paul says the same thing in Romans 5. These are themes that are throughout the New Testament. Romans 5, 3, and 4. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And again, Paul's saying suffering produces endurance. See, endurance or steadfastness is, is something that is built through trials as well. And, and that's sometimes what we forget is trials serve a necessary growth function in our, our spiritual lives. Think about it physically. Let's say I was to say, I'm going to go print, bench press 400 pounds. You'd say, great, I'll visit you in the hospital this week. I can't just go do that, right? What do I have to do to get to where I can bench press 400 pounds? Get my shoulder fixed. Yeah, okay, there's, there's that. Train, right? You have to train. You have to start lifting and maybe start with two pounds or, okay, maybe more. Um, and, and you go up and up, but 
it, you're, you're training your body, you're building strength in your body. Now that training is hard work. I would call it a trial. <laughs> no. But you're building strength. You know, I used to run distance running when I was younger, and you didn't just go out and run four miles. You'd be dead after half a block, wheezing and, and bent over. You start small, and you build more and more and more. It's the same principle with trials in our spiritual lives. God is building maturity. He's building steadfastness. But there's really almost no other way other than trials for Him to do that. Because we're, we're exercising our spiritual muscles of endurance, of trust. I love the illustration of a butterfly. And, and as the butterfly is breaking out of its cocoon, do you know what happens if you go help it and open the cocoon for it? You ruin that butterfly's life because they no longer have the strength to fly. Because part of that process of breaking out seems to us like, oh, that's horrible, let me help. But God has designed it where that's how those muscles stretch. Village, that's how we start need to start thinking of trials. This is an opportunity to stretch our faith muscles, to, to, to stretch our steadfastness muscles. Because as we do that, God builds growth in our spiritual walks. And that's step two, verse four. And let steadfastness, and so you see a sequence there, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so we see that sequence where as we are steadfast, as we trust God, as we stand firm in truth in the middle of trial, He then is making us perfect and complete. And, and when we think of perfect, He's not talking sinless. We will not be sinless this side of eternity. But that word is a word for maturity. That word is a word for, for having all the aspects of our spiritual life together. So I think maturity is probably a better translation of that. And then complete means whole or single-minded, focused on God. He's saying, you want to be a mature believer, focused on God, sold out for Him? Then be steadfast in trial. Be steadfast. couple notes. It's not the trials that cause the maturity. It's the steadfastness and trust in God through the trials that causes the maturity. How we respond makes a difference. You can go through all kinds of trials and not grow an inch if our attitude isn't one of choosing joy, choosing to trust God and to rest in His promises. So we have a sequence. Trials lead to perseverance, which leads to spiritual maturity. Cling to the truth that God is maturing you through these circumstances. Value that maturity. Want it. Warren Wearsby writes, and I put this quote in your notes, if we value comfort more than character, then trials will upset us. If we value the material and physical more than the spiritual, we will not be able to count it all joy. If we live only for the present and forget the future, then trials will make us bitter and not better. What a great summary of these three verses of the message of God's Word. Difficulties will deepen our commitment and walk with God if we let them, if we respond in the right way. I put a caution in your notes, a word that, um, again, comes out of verse 4 there. And endurance um, produces character. I'm sorry, that's the the Romans verse. Um, And let steadfastness have its full effect. 
And that's actually another command in, in the original language. It's, it's, a, it's an imperative that says, you need to let this play out. Don't run from it. Don't run from your trials, but let God work through them. And so the caution there out, out of that verse is don't short-circuit the process by running or withdrawing. Don't short-circuit short the Say that five times fast. Don't short-circuit the process by running or withdrawing. Choose joy and choose to see what God does in it. See, we have all kinds of ways we run. I, we don't like difficult situations. If we can avoid them, we will. You know, a romantic relationship hits rough waters before we're married, so we withdraw. A friendship hits an argument, so we look for other friends that we're just more comfortable with. Our boss is giving us a hard time at work, so we look for a new job. We don't get along well with neighbors, so we pray that God will move them. Our extended family gets on our nerves on vacation, so we rent our own room to get away from them. Okay, we just stepped on a whole lot of toes. But in the big trials and in the small trials, it's tempting to escape and God wants to do something through them. Let me talk to parents for just a moment. This this caution is huge for parenting because we as parents don't like to see our kids go through any trouble. I don't want my kids to go through trials. I don't want them to go through difficulty. Now, that's a problem if that's the tool God uses for maturity, right? Because what am I actually doing? I'm short-circuiting maturity in my kids. Albert Moeller this week was talking about parenting, and he's the president of a university. He gets to deal with parents. More so now because he said 20 years ago it was the helicopter parents, right? The parent that hovered over and tried to fix all the problems their kids get into. He goes, no, no, that's tame compared to today. Now it's, now he's calling them snowplow parents. And a snowplow goes through and clears the path of any difficulties so the child just has this perfect life. He has parents that are calling other parents at his university because their sons have gotten into an argument in their dorm room. And so parents are trying to negotiate some sort of a resolution. His parents calling the cafeteria wondering what the, the menu is so they can tell their children what to eat to be healthy. These are college students. This is ridiculous. And these parents are harming their kids by making life easy. And I know there's a balance. And I know we are there. And I know we, we, we don't want to wish hardships on our kids But moms and dads, hardship is how they grow. And are we building a generation of wimps that don't want to do anything and can't experience anything? Or are we going to build a generation of people that trust God? I'm passionate about this one. (laughs) And some of it's very personal. You know, one, one of my kids has a learning disability. And every ounce of, of my flesh wants to take away all the hardness and take away the assignments and do them for them. And God put it just, just so clearly on my heart, as clear as anything I've ever, I've ever felt. No, they need to persevere. They need to learn how to be strong through this. 
And you need to keep them in a difficult setting instead of making life easy for them. I'm not saying that's true of everybody, but, but it was clear as day for both Susie and I that that's what we needed to do. And that was one of the hardest decisions we've made in parenting. And we have watched them blossom and bloom and learn perseverance in ways that would have never happened in other circumstances. And we're not perfect parents, and we've blown this so much. But praise God, that time we listened to them. Don't short-circuit the process by running or withdrawing from what God's doing. In your kid's life, in your life, just don't. I was going to talk about why God allows trials and suffering, and I'll just say this. Sometimes it's discipline. Sometimes it's just a fallen world we live in. Sometimes He allows them for growth. Sometimes it's not even about you. And it's for growth in someone else or for His glory in someone else. That's really hard for us to think about in trials. How can it not be about me? Everything should be about me. Last verses, 5 through 8. And this deals with the question, okay, what do we do in the middle of trials? How can we have joy? What tools does God give us? And number three, our good God gives wisdom to help us persevere well through trials if we ask and trust. Catch this. Our good God gives wisdom to help us persevere well through trials if we ask and trust. And verses 5 through 8, they are often preached in a separate message. And I know I probably should have for time's sake. But it's the same discussion here as trials. If James is continuing the thought. And in verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, and, and that, that's what we would call a first-class condition, it's if any of you lacks wisdom, and you do, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. You want wisdom to get through a trial? God says, ask. Why wouldn't you ask? And he gives us some, some, some reasons to ask. God is a God who gives generously. He wants to give. And actually the original language there is he's a giving God who wants to give generously. This is what he wants to do. He wants to give you wisdom. And without reproach means he's not going to hold you at fault for asking. We won't come to God and say, God, give me wisdom. I don't know what to do through this. And he's not going to look at us and say, you idiot. Maybe use your brain. Maybe if you wouldn't have gotten into this. No, God's not going to do it. God has promised, I'll give it to you. I want you to ask. I want you to rely on me. I want you to depend on me. See, that wisdom does two things. It helps us get through the trials with the right actions, but it helps us get a bigger picture of what God is doing. Our God promises to give generously, so why not ask? He promises to give without reproach, so why not ask? And in verses 6 through 8, it says we are to ask with faith and trust that God can and is working, without doubt. We're to ask with faith and trust that God can and is working, without doubt. But let him ask in faith, James writes in verse 6, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. 
And that wording there, and, and I've never been out in an open ocean just bobbing up and down, but the, the idea is that you see no land and the waves are coming and, and currents are going different directions. It says, if you doubt that God has this in control, if you doubt that you can trust God through your trials, you're just tossed everywhere. You have no direction. Well, of course not. You have no anchor. Because if I don't believe God can handle this, my only other option is I can. Who's bigger? Who's omnipotent? Who's omniscient? Not me. But when I doubt God, I am saying, I've got this. And so we're just tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Wow. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. See, James says, choose joy. And you can choose joy because you have the bigger picture in mind. But the way that God will help you through this is if you ask Him for wisdom and trust Him and rely on Him. Three simple points that are so incredibly hard for us to do. As worship team comes up, I want to give you an assignment. We're going to end with a song or two. We'll see. We can go a little bit over. Um, On the back of your notes, you see a post-it note. That wasn't just an accident from the office. I'd like to give you an assignment. I want you this morning to, to, to say, and as they're singing, even spend some time in prayer to say, God, I need to give you the trials in my life. I need to give you the difficulties that I'm facing. And so I want you to take that post-it note and think of somewhere where you can put it this week that will be near or around a trial, something that will remind you of a trial in your life. And on that post-it note, I'd like you to write, God is at work. God is at work. You know, if you're dealing with medical issues, maybe you need to put that post-it note on a, a, a bottle of medicine or a bottle of chemo and write, God is at work. Maybe you need to take it to work and put it on the cubicle wall facing an employee that, yeah. Maybe you need to put it on your checkbook. Maybe you need to put it somewhere that reminds you of relationships in your life that are difficult. Maybe you need to put it on a pregnancy test box if you're struggling with infertility. Put it somewhere real, village, that reminds us that God is at work. He hasn't abandoned us. And He is doing something in our lives through this. And let's take this seriously. Choose joy. Not an arbitrary happiness, but a meaningful contentment that God is at work. Oh Lord God, it is well with our souls. No matter what we're going through this morning, no matter what we came through those doors carrying with us, it is well with our souls because we trust you. We know you're at work and you're using this for your glory and our good. Thank you that we can trust you. Give us wisdom to know how to deal with these situations and give us faith. Help our lack of faith, Lord. May we trust you in your name. Amen.